Hey, fanboy nation. This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching. Fanboy. 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 A fanboy, etc. Fanboy nation. Dot. I assume Tom. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with a man that can easily emasculate three-fourths of the United States population with just listing his accolades. Uh, Top Gun instructor, uh, <clears throat> Commander, uh, Commander uh, excuse me, I'll pick it up from here. Top Gun instructor, Commander Guy Snodgrass, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great, RC. Thanks for having me. Oh, please. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. I mean, you have a new book coming out, Top Gun's Top Ten Leadership Lessons from the Cockpit, out on September 15th. Uh, you've worked with uh, former Secretary of Defense James Mattis as the uh, as the Director of Communications and as Chief Speechwriter. You've been on CNN, BBC, Fox, and a million other places. I presume at some point you get the preamble of "Thank you for your service" before they try to play gotcha uh, when they try to figure out your political leanings. <laughs> yeah, best of luck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's about a project like this, right? So you've got a, a project about leadership, about what, you know, the people I've been around, the men and women I've had a chance to serve with and be, uh, you know, in the trenches with, some of the just amazing things that they've done to be able to wrap that into a book, like you mentioned, Top Gun's Top Ten, and get that out there. The great news is it's completely apartisan, so, or nonpartisan. So it's not uh, any particular party. It can apply to all Americans, regardless of your background. Uh, in fact, the first three copies of the book went to my three children, right? Because it's like there's just so many things in there, so many lessons that I know that I'd like them to grow up with. So it's a very exciting project. Which is harder, uh, raising three kids or being in a dogfight? <laughs> you know, those are, those are uh, unique and can be challenging in their own right. Uh, I think especially when you're raising three children and, and during the time of coronavirus, everyone's kind of cooped up. That can be its own challenge as millions of American families are across our nation are finding out. But at the same time, you know, a dogfight is just so – the thing that's interesting about a dogfight is it happens so quickly. You know, you have maybe this romanticized view that when you go head-to-head in combat with another aircraft that it's like this 30-minute long battle. It's not. You're talking two, maybe five minutes max. So it's very violent, very quick. Uh, you're using everything that you have at your – available to you as a resource, whether it's your missiles, your guns, your ability to move, to maneuver the aircraft. So very different for different, very different reasons. But one thing I do mention in the book is that in some respects, as part of my career, you mentioned I've been a Navy fighter pilot. And, you know, when you go on board the aircraft carrier and you load all your airplanes, your people on board, you typically pull away from the pier and you're gone for anywhere from six to nine months. Uh, and, and, and for a lot of Americans right now, that's exactly what it feels like, uh, where you are uh, you know, kind of cut off a little bit from your social networks, from your family networks, and you're kind of huddled. So, you know, it's like we're all living our own our own cruise right now. So right. they both have their own unique challenges, but both have been fantastic experiences. I believe it was Secretary of Defense Matt, Mattis that had said at one point, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, if you want to accomplish anything, first thing you have to do is make your bed in the morning. Um, what is one lesson? You know, I'm sorry, please can, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I thought that was uh, the end of the quote. But yeah, uh, that was actually another mentor of mine, but a fantastic individual. Uh, he's a former U.S. Navy SEAL named Admiral Bill McRaven. In fact, he'd given a commencement speech at the University of Texas where he told all the graduating college students uh, his some of his leadership lessons. And then one of the very first one was, you know, you can't do the big things in life if you can't start with the small. So always make your bet. Mm-hmm. 
And it's a great piece of advice, especially now, because at least you've accomplished something for the day. Um, Exactly. I have to ask, since, you know, making your bed is a a big deal in accomplishing the littlest things, you know, that, brushing your teeth, whatever else, and that sets the tone for the day. You have ten ten lessons from the cockpit. Now, I know you're going to get a couple of smart asses coming out and go, well, what if I'm scared to fly? Okay. What's a lesson from the cockpit that you could teach somebody that's scared to go up in a plane? Yeah, that's, you know, it's fun. The the book itself, right, uh, Top Gun's Top Ten Leadership Lessons from the Cockpit. These aren't ten leadership lessons to go be a pilot or to go fly. These are ten leadership lessons that I just happened to learn early in my career when I was a junior officer. I was very young in my early 20s, and I learned them from some of our nation's best men and women. And so it's everything from, you know, one of the chapters is titled Never Wait to Make a Difference, right? And so it walks you through a story that I experienced when I was at Top Gun, and what I took away from it, which was just that. It was the fact that, hey, there's always a reason in life that you can delay making a significant and positive difference for your family, for your church, for your community, for your school. The the reality is don't wait to make a difference, right? Like get after it, uh, make things happen. And so that's what that chapter would tell you. Another chapter, which is titled Always Have a Wingman. It's about a time in combat where I was almost killed, but because I had a wingman and they were looking out for me, as we say, you know, they were checking my six o'clock, which is the position directly behind your aircraft. Well, because I had that individual, I learned the, just the importance of being in a situation where you've always got wingmen around you who can look out for you. And conversely, you look out for them. So, you know, while the stories are based off my time at Top Gun or, you know, in combat or in an aircraft, in a fighter jet, um, the lessons themselves are written specifically to be applicable for everyone, whether you're a barista at Starbucks or whether you're a YouTuber, there's a lot of stuff in here that can apply to you. Right. Now, Commander, you know, we're we're having a very light conversation and we're cracking a couple of jokes because these are very tense times. So I want a spoiler from now, a uh, very lighthearted one. Do you have a cameo in the Top Gun Maverick sequel coming out? <laughs> Paramount has that thing so locked down. Uh, <laughs> I think anybody who's been associated with the movie can neither confirm nor deny uh, any part with it. But I can tell you, that I'm certainly very excited to see the movie come out. I think it's going to be just an absolute blockbuster. The first movie, which was released in 1986, was one of the reasons why I felt inspired to pursue a career as a fighter pilot, to become a Top Gun instructor. The actual Top Gun school, which is in Fallon, Nevada, is just an absolute blast. It's where you send the best of the best in naval aviation and, and your best pilots and, and weapon systems officers to go train and then subsequently teach others. So it was a Amazing career all started because of that first movie. So I can only imagine that for the U.S. Navy, the second movie will be just as fantastic. And I look forward to seeing just, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of men and women inspired to want to potentially pursue a a pathway to being a a fighter pilot. Well, when the movie comes out after you see it, I want to get your reaction to the film and some of its accuracies and inaccuracies when that happens. Oh, yeah, let's do it. That'd be a lot of fun. Some of the best videos I've seen on YouTube are where you've got uh, someone like me, right, sitting down with someone like you going, hey, you know, let's watch this clip. And what part of this is absolutely spot on and what part uh, maybe is a little bit different than reality. Um, We are in trying times right now. We have a very unique situation with a global pandemic. You know, you have the people that sit there and go, well, it's a 99.96% recovery rate. Uh, and then this is how I basically described it. I said the world has gone to either Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, where nobody bothers about anything and we'll figure it out when the time comes, to Chicken Little and the sky is falling. Um, 
you being a military man and have been under duress and having been under fire and have all this years of training, where as civilians can we find the balance uh, as a society to deal with each other? Right. Well, I think the number one thing, and this is a theme that does come throughout the entirety of the book, and that is just whether it was my upbringing and also my experience in the U.S. military, the number one thing was that you always put service before self. Now, for any American, that could be just reflecting on the fact that, yes, what what we need is important, what our families need to be successful is always important, and not just successful, but in these trying times for our safety as well. But there's always, you know, that's what's made America great for so many decades and now centuries is the fact that you know, there's always that overarching, hey, I need to take care of myself, but I also really care deeply about making sure you, your family, your community is taken care of. And I think that that's one thing that we should all keep in mind is that, yes, there it can be very difficult to, uh, you know, to stay home more than you're used to, to work for, work remotely, to wear a mask. I mean, I know a lot of people here in the Texas area uh, are frustrated with being asked to wear masks continuously in public, but the reality is it's a small inconvenience, but you're doing these small things to make a much bigger impact for those in the country. And I think that that's something, you know, putting service before self is always a great pursuit. Right. Like I, I was talking to somebody, I want a level of concern that's rational. You know, when you're in the car by yourself, you don't need to wear the mask. But if you're going into Costco, please put one on. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's fun because when you think about the rest of our lives, there are so many things we do on a daily basis that take those kind of just common sense precautions. Uh, I remember being a kid growing up, and, of course, that was shortly after they had mandated seatbelt seat belt use, and that was the biggest thing at the point in time where it was you know, encroaching on people's civil liberties. But within a few years, everyone realized that not only was it the right thing to do, but it, but it, it saved lives in right. a collision. So I think the masks are a very easy way to go about. But like you said, I think the global response has been varied. I think some of the nations that have performed the best are the ones who have taken the pandemic seriously. They are thinking ahead, right? They're planning ahead and, and coming up with game plans to make sure that with different eventualities that they can they can be safe and their country can be safe. Right. Um, you know, I, my, my biggest issue was that it was politicized over here. And, you know, when one side said early on, oh, it's no greater than the flu. And when we realized how bad it really was when we saw what happened to Italy, the other side's response wasn't, well, we were right. You know, now let's work together and buckle down. It was, no, no, you said we don't need masks, so we don't need masks. And that drove me crazy because that's a very second grade nanny, nanny, boo, boo, uh, response. And how do we as civilians, especially time times right now, where in less than 80 days, you know, we've had two conventions, the DNC convention and the RNC convention, um, come to the center and just want to work together now, you know, because it seems that you've been on major news networks and you see how polarized they are based on not only the polling, but the demographic that watches them and who's, who's their primary advertiser, you know, to, to the demographic that they're, they're shooting for. How do we come back to the center now and go, okay, let's, you know, not necessarily hold hands and sing kumbaya, but look, we disagree on these nine points, but we agree on these 91 points. So let's focus on the 91 versus the nine right now. Right. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head and that the first thing is that there needs to be a, a general consensus that such wide, diverse political interests 
uh, and when you only talk to your specific constituency, that, that can actually be pretty harmful. And, you know, this is not something you or I individually can change. I think it's something that over time that Americans will need to come to a consensus that we, as a functioning country, we have to find ways to pull together. And you and I might have differing views on a, on a number of topics. But that's fine. I respect you. Uh, I, I enjoy working with you. Let's get things done for what's best for America. And I, it, you know, and I know there's a saying going around right now, which I actually appreciate, and that is country over party. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important, uh, important kind of topic to ponder and think about. But you know, at the end of the day, really, I think what this drives home for each and every one of us is just the sheer importance of it. Right. Because you know, my parents. The fact that. No, please continue. Sure, I was just going to say that, you know, each and every one of us, whether you know it or not, people are always watching you. You have a leadership role to play. So how will you play that role? Will you be your best self? Will you will you act honorably? Will you uh, bring people together? Or through your actions, do you drive people apart? Do you Are you incredibly divisive? And, and I think that that's something that each of us just needs to acknowledge our personal responsibility for. Right. Well, let's put it this way. You know, uh, we'll bring back the analogy of the dogfight, right? Let's say you're a far right libertarian, almost Tea Party level, and then the guy uh, to the to your left, we'll call him Mike, is total Green Party. You know, can't even believe he's in the cockpit at this point. You know, you're not going to sit there and go, "Well, I would have saved Mike, but Mike's Green Party, so to hell with him." <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I agree, and I like the fact that you 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 turn it into a dogfighting analogy. Look, I mean. That's one of the reasons why when you go out and you fly, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all Americans. When you go out and you fly missions, uh, you may have had a raging argument with one of your wingmen, you know, two days prior and, and been kind of at loggerheads and really upset with each other. But once you climb into the aircraft, once you're airborne, once you're proceeding on mission, you're all on the same team. And I think that that's, uh, you make a great point. There's always that conscious reality that, hey, guess what? We can, we should have a vigorous debate about the future of our country and what principles we want to pursue. But at the end of the day, this is about America, about making this country the best we can possibly make it, and that <clears throat> requires cooperation. Okay, uh, I was a you know I was training to be a school teacher at a time, and uh, my my experience in the classroom they they constantly pushed the idea of the teacher being in the place of the parent when the parent is not there. Uh, there was a Latin phrase I can't remember it at this moment. Of course, I'll remember it at three o'clock in the morning when I'm when I'm trying to sleep and go. That's what I should have told them. Um, and how do we get this concept into education that, yes, you may disagree with your teammate. Yes, you may disagree with your classmate. But at the end of the day, we have this project to finish and, you know, everything's growing and evolving and changing. We still need to get the task at hand and not try to screw each other over. Sure. And I think you you, you just touched on it. I mean, teachers are amazing at this. Parents are very good at this, too. If you have multiple children, uh, you're always adjudicating you know, when kids bicker or you're always adjudicating when people get into fights. And so there's just that constant training and teaching and reality. And I think it's just that reassurance that, um, you know, you, we can have these fundamental disagreements in the classroom. You can have them in your workplace and that's okay, but it's how you handle them that makes all the difference. You know, you can't throw things at each other and have a screaming match. It's more important to calm everyone down and then say, okay, now that we're calm, you know, what is your disagreement? Here's my disagreement. How can we work together? to get to the best solution. Right. Because I, I knew a teacher, this is just a personal story for this, um, who was a kindergarten teacher. And I told her that she taught at her intellectual capacity because she had two cards, a red card and a blue card. And all the good things you did 
went on the blue card and all the bad things you did went on the red card. And at the end of the school year, whichever had the most comments on it went in the child's permanent record. And I, oh. and I said, no, no, you should never be allowed near any child whatsoever because there are teachers that will just look at the permanent record and go, oh, this kid's a screw-up because the kindergarten teacher said there was a screw-up. And I don't think anybody should have a grudge against a five-year-old, except maybe yeah. another five-year-old. Yeah, and the point you bring up is a good one, which is that that can be very challenging because you're right. If the good – if, for example, if more bad outweighed the good – the only card that went into the permanent record was the bad card uh, that could cause significant issues down the road. So you're right. I mean, even that alone is a great example of a lack of balance. And, you know, that's something that whether it's our lives, our careers, you, you should always strive to find balance. Now in your book, how much is balance of focus as well? Because you have these 10, le these top 10 lessons that you learned early on that you're imparting your wisdom on us because clearly you're more of a man than any one of us is. You know, you sat there, you had to keep your weight between like 160 and 180 just to fit in the cockpit. And then going up in the sky is dangerous enough as it is. So, you know, you have that, then you have your Navy training, then you have your your uh, marksmanship training and your artillery training and everything else. And then, you know, boot camp and et cetera, et cetera. Like most of us would have washed out. So let's be honest, you're more of a man than the rest of us. Um you know, what are some basic things that you could tell us uh, to not feel so emasculated when we talk to you? Uh, well, look, I mean, everyone <laughs> has a different path in life. I mean, that's, right. a, that's such a fantastically loaded question. Look, um, <laughs> that's the point. It's funny. Because, you know, that's, that's the reason why I thought this book was such a, a great thing, a great project, because when I was coming through high school, man, I was like an incredible nerd. I was a computer nerd. I, I was a programmer. I had started a bulletin board system back in the day when you still had AOL and dial-up. I was very shy. So, you know, it was one of those things that because of the experiences that I was luckily, lucky to have, that put me on a pathway to join the U.S. Navy, which put me on a pathway to become a fighter pilot and subsequently a top gun instructor. And every single step along the way, you know, it's about lifelong learning. You're learning new skill sets. You're being, you know, introduced to new people who can really help you and mentor you. And so you have to make the most of every one of those opportunities. And if I had maybe skill set that, that helped propel me to a successful career. It was just that. It was this willingness to uh, be bold, to always take a chance, to reach out to people, you know, cold call and say, look, you don't know me, but I watched, I read your book and I thought this was a fantastic book. Would you make 15 minutes just to have a conversation? And you'd be surprised the number of times that individual would say, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's talk. And so it's just this willingness to put yourself in a challenging position, knowing that it's, it can feel uncomfortable, but that every single time you do it, you're growing, you're learning, and you're going to get better. All right. Uh, Commander, I have to ask the, these two questions before I let you go, because I know you're strapped for time and you're about to go on, a, you know, you're about to catch a flight. Um, when you're single, it's easier to sit there and not worry about the dangers of the job. You know, yeah, you're going to worry, oh, if something unfortunately happens to me in, in Afghanistan or Iraq or even over Syria or whatever, you know, mom's going to be sad and no, no child should die before their parent. But, you know, I don't have my own kids to worry about. I don't have a wife to worry about everything else. You're married with three kids. What pressures are added on you on top of that while you still have to be a combat pilot? Sure. One of the things that, members of the U.S. military, especially elite teams, right, Delta Force, Navy SEALs, Top Gun instructors, something you learn early on is this 
concept called compartmentalization, which is just a fancy way of saying when you're getting ready to go on mission, everything else falls away. So you focus on the task at hand and you you actively learn how to prevent distractors from popping up or bothering you because you just focus on what's most important at that moment in time. So yes, you're right. I mean, when you're when you're a father, when you have a family, when you have others who depend on you, I think the way it impacts you is you make sure that everything that can be taken care of in advance, should something go wrong, is done, right? So you always predict what could happen and have I done the best to take care of my family? Uh, and then you also just realize that you have a strong family. And so, you know, in my case, I was very lucky. My wife, Sarah, she, you know, I'd be gone, but she, as we've already discussed, for seven to eight months at a time. But she was amazing at, at keeping the family rolling, taking care of the kids. So that gave me the, the comfort and just made me feel incredibly, uh, just like I knew the family was in a great spot so I could focus on the task at hand. So you have to make sure all your, your bedrock and your foundation is laid properly. And then that allows you to focus on being, you know, striving for that additional thing, which in my case happened to be a fighter pilot. Now, I, I, Commander, I greatly appreciate your time and thank you for this. I wanted to keep the conversation as lighthearted as possible because I didn't want to get too political, even though in November we have an election coming up and, you know, I wanted to touch on, on the partisanship of, of people having blind loyalty to uh, red team versus blue team instead of the red, white, and blue team. Um, and I just, you know, I just wanted to get get your take on, on certain things. The book, I read the first chapter so far. Uh, I have a PDF of it. It's fantastic. Um, it's called, you know, Top Gun's Top 10 Leadership Lessons from the Cockpit out September 15th. This is your moment, sir. What is your make the bed quote that you would want to share if you are giving a uh, a commencement speech at a university? Yeah, well, thanks for springing that on me. Hey, uh, <laughs> you know, what I would say is something we talked about previously. And I think, you know, when I think through all the 10 lessons in the book, there's a lot of great ones. I think that, like I said, you can, they can relate to almost anybody as you are, as you're walking through your life. But the number one thing I would say is just that, which is never wait to make a difference, right? I mean, it, when you have that mindset, when you live by that mantra, you will always find something on a daily basis that you can do to make things better, to, to help your team, to help your community, to help your company, to help your family. So, you know, that's what I would, that's what I would compel people to, to think about is never wait to make a difference. Always find a reason to, to make, you know, as I put it in the book, yeah, that was the goal of a Top Gun instructor was that you make today better than yesterday. And then you do the same thing tomorrow. You do it day after day after day. Well, so you're still inspiring everybody now, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you have a social media that you would like to share uh, so people can see what you're up to and, you know, uh, get your opinion on the next Top Gun movie, uh, where can we find you? Yeah, you bet. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Guy Snodgrass, G-U-Y-S-N-O-D-G-R-A-S-S. Fantastic. Commander Guy Snodgrass, uh, Top Gun fighter pilot, instructor, uh, national hero at this point, uh, has done everything by 6 a.m. that you've wanted to do for the last 15 years. Top Gun's top 10 <laughs> leadership lessons from the cockpit out September 15th. And we're going to talk again when Top Gun Maverick comes out so we can get a professional reaction to what's going on in the Paramount movie. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, RC. Great being with you. Thank you, sir. It's a great pleasure of mine. Have a good day.